The Next Chapter with Terry Shepard, award-winning broadcaster, narrator, and author. A deep dive into the writer's craft with the artists and support systems who create the stories we love. Thanks, Lisa. Tosca Lee is the award-winning New York Times best-selling author of a long list of amazing books. She's collaborated with the likes of Ted Decker and is the recipient of numerous awards for her work. She's a sought-after lecturer and teacher, a former ballet dancer who still stretches her legs on the dance floor from time to time, and looks at the world from a farm in rural Nebraska. We caught up with her at her home office to talk about The Long March Home, a historical novel set at the dawn of the Second World War. It's a tale she co-authored with Marcus Brotherton, and there's a pre-order offer out there now at thelongmarchhomebook.com. Check it out. We began our visit with a deep dive into this latest epic tale based on real events and starring some real people. All right, so this is not the fancy schmancy hardcover one, which I hear I'm going to get one one of these days. They, the publisher said I would, so. but until then, I've got the advanced copy. So The Long March Home, uh, this is a novel of the, the Pacific um, it's a story of three best friends. So the main character is Jimmy Propfield. He's a, he's a preacher's son. And this is Mobile, Alabama. So Jimmy Propfield and his two best friends, Hank and Billy. And then also the fourth best friend in their group is a girl named Claire, and that's Billy's sister. And she's the one that Jimmy's going to uh, fall in young love with as he gets older. And so it's a story of these friends as they grow up. It's a coming of age tale. Um, in 1941, the three best friends decide to enlist in the army. They are stationed in the Philippines, and that's where they are when Pearl Harbor is bombed, which launched the Philippines immediately into war. And so uh, they become defenders of the Philippines and then the Bataan Peninsula. In April, they become part of the Allied Surrender, which is the largest U.S. surrender in history. And they become part of the infamous Bataan Death March wherein all the uh, prisoners of war were marched over 60 miles without food or water. And these are soldiers who were already, de- you know, already uh, malnourished and starving and diseased and dealing with malaria and all diff- different kinds of things. So they weren't, you know, hardy and hale and healthy to begin with. Uh, so they're marched to a prisoner of war camp. Many soldiers died on the way. Um, so for these best friends, it's, it's a story of their survival. It's a story of the, the friendships and the memories and the hopes that sustain them through prisoner of war life. Uh, and ultimately, it's a story of redemption and hope. You are legendary for your immersive research into your books. How in the world could you research something like this that happened so long ago? Uh, well, for me, this is actually a newer historical time frame. So um, I, for me, historical in the past has been 2,000, 3,000 years ago. The Queen of Sheba, uh, Judas Iscariot, the infamous uh, disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, so this is actually scarier than going two or 3,000 years back in time because there's people alive who could say, Mm-mm, you got that one wrong. And uh, it's intimidating for that. And this is something not in my wheelhouse before. So um, fortunately, 
those survivors who, who lived to tell the tale, and many of them would not talk about it for so much of their lives, uh, many of them did end up talking about it eventually towards the end of their lives. And some of those survivor accounts are harrowing and also inspiring and amazing for their the detail, the sheer amount of vivid, specific detail that is included in those accounts. And so thank goodness for those heroes of Bataan and those survivors who uh, live to share their tale. And the story is inspired by true stories. And so we leaned very heavily on those survivors and, and the things they shared. Tosca Lee is our guest. Her new book is The Long March Home, launching May 3rd, but available for pre-order now with a special secret epilogue and a free audiobook version. Learn more at thelongmarchhomebook.com. Tosca, much of your work is faith-based. Why? You know, um, I grew up in the church. I grew up with faith in my life. I fell into writing in the faith-based market when I first got published, but I didn't mean to, Terry. It was my my first novel was the story of an Attila the Hun-like warrior woman. Actually, no, that was my second novel. My very first novel was a, a novel about the Neolithic Stonehenge people in England. So... Uh, I've always loved history. I've always loved historical fantasy, King Arthur, all that stuff. But the book that got published first of mine happens to be the story of a fallen angel telling his tale. And uh, that became Demon a Memoir, which is not a memoir. It's a novel and became my first my first published book. So after that, I kind of ended up on this trajectory, and my second book was about the story of Eve. So uh, it's her story in first person, uh, setting the, the, the tale, the account right. <laughs> She's giving her side of it. And um, so that's how that happened. I've, I've kind of veered away a little bit and gone into thrillers and some other things. But at the heart of stories I love is always hope, always inspiration, and often a redemption story. So those things don't change very much. What caused you to make the switch to thrillers? Well, historical fiction is a lot of fun, but it is so much work because you have to research even what do people wear? What do they eat? I spent an entire day researching first century uh, Israelite in, in Jerusalem public latrines. Because, you know, what what do people do? I mean, and they have them. And I learned all about it. I used it for about half a sentence. But, you know, you can, you can spend a lot of time doing all this fascinating stuff. There came a time when I thought, you know, I really want to do something modern where I don't have to look up, you know, what people wore, ate or whatever. I want to uh, do something really fast paced and see if I can just keep readers up all night long. And um, it was time to, to try my hand at that. And I would say, you know, I, I don't want to eat a hamburger every day. I don't want to eat sushi every day. I don't want to read the same thing every day. And I, wanna, I don't want to write the same thing every day. So the switch has been really fun. You have actually been to a number of these places that appear as scenes in your book. How is it different actually being in the location from just reading about it? Oh, you know, I think whenever you can go 
I think that's always preferable because there's something about breathing the air of a place and walking the cobblestone streets or whatever it is. And, and, you know, I love food, Terry. So eating the food, right? <laughs> so it, and it's not always possible. I wrote about the Queen of Sheba and so much of that story takes place in Yemen where it's not safe to travel. So I was not able to do that. I have been to Israel and part of the story takes place there. But um, I think when you can, it just adds a whole different dimension. And sometimes I don't even outline my stories until I've had the opportunity to do that because the things I see there may inform the outline. And that happened with my books like The, the Progeny, where I went uh, to Austria and Hungary and Croatia, Italy. Uh, that really informed that story. Do you have a process for creation from ideation to publication? First, I panic. <laughs> There's always panic involved. There's always fear involved. There's always a massive amount of procrastination involved. And I, I'm so normal and regular about this that I, I have just accepted it's, it is part of my, my process. I've been this way since school, school years. So, uh, and one thing I've learned about myself, and I, I always encourage writers to honor the way that they work best and to honor their own strengths. And one thing I've learned, and I've learned it the hard way more than once, is that I have to have an outline. And it's not something I, I love about myself because a part of me wants to dive in and, you know, do what my pants are, you know, right by the city your pants friends do. They seem to be enjoying that so much, but that doesn't work for me. And every time I've tried, it's been a disaster. So I do have a loose outline. That is my process. And then the rest happens when you get in there and write, because I find that no matter how much you outline, once you get in there, there's always something that happens or something that occurs to you or, ah, wouldn't this be fun? And so I leave room for mystery, but got to have the outline. How often do the characters take over and take the story in their own direction? Often. <laughs> When I was writing A Single Light, which is the sequel to The Line Between, which was my pandemic duology that released in 2000, 2019, right before the pandemic, um, I knew that this character would enter the story at a certain point. I didn't know anything about this character. Uh, I knew it would probably be a guy. Well, it turned out that this character was a guy named Otto, a young man, and he's nonverbal, so he doesn't speak. But he was hilarious. And I had so much fun writing this character with this wicked sense of humor. Uh, he became one of my favorite characters I've ever written in my entire life. Tosca Lee's new book is The Long March Home, launching May 3rd. But the book is available for pre-order now. And it comes with two unique editions, a special secret epilogue and a free audiobook version. Get complete details on this special pre-order offer at thelongmarchhome.com. Even though fate dictated a different direction than dancing, do you still enjoy dancing today? I do. Every every few years, I get in touch with it. It was my one of my old coaches, and she moved. Um, but now it's an it's an old dance friend of mine who has a studio. And every now and then, I'll get in touch and be like, you know what? I need to get back into the studio. 
Um, when I could, I would still go take her. I'd go take her advanced class with all the 18 year olds. So there I was doing the thing, you know, and as, as my schedule got harder and harder, um, I started just calling her up for private lessons. And so we'd go and, you know, at the age of 50 something now, you know, half that time is spent moaning and groaning and stretching on the floor. But I'm still there in the studio, right? And <laughs> still doing the things. And ultimately that is dance. You know, it's it's you go back to the bar and you you begin with the basics every single time with your plies and tondus and everything. So it's a discipline that I've I've lived by and my body has always underst- understood. Um and it, it's it's a good mental practice, I think, to go back to what you know. So I've been away now for almost a year. It's about time for me to call my friend Ashley up and say, hey, <laughs> let's go back for a while. Usually it's a deadline that, you know, messes up the whole thing. And then I don't go in for a while. And, you know, you should never stop at this age because once you stop, it's just way worse <laughs> to try to get back in. The Long March Home has a very interesting female character, too. Tell us about Claire. Yeah, Claire is. So Claire's she's spunky. She reminds me a little bit of Vivian Lee. She speaks her mind. And but for all of that in the time, we're talking, you know, we we've got a dual timeline in the story. So there's the timeline when the the guys go off to war at the age of 18 and 19 and 17 for Billy who lied about his age. They go off to war, but we go back and forth. And so the the when we go back in time to when the friends are all growing up, it's the 1930s. We're coming out of the Depression. So Claire's a pretty spunky girl, uh, I think, especially for her time period. But even given that, she knows that her life is probably going to remain at home. Um, she's the caretaker for her younger siblings. And um, whereas Jimmy wants to go see the world, Claire knows that she's going to be uh, staying staying at home with her family. And there is another female uh, interesting character in the Long March Home, and that's Philippa, Philippa Kulala. And she is a real-life historical uh, female guerrilla uh, freedom fighter in the Philippines. And it was so interesting to study her and to see the role that women played in this, this war um, going on very much on this home soil for those who lived there. Um, so she's, she's interesting too. The Long March Home is a collab with Marcus Brotherton. You've written also with Ted Decker. Mm-hmm. What does it take to make a good collaboration? You know, I think it takes the same things that it makes, uh, that it takes to, to create any great partnership. And so the first thing is you, you have to, you have to like the person you're writing with. That's always helpful, right? But Beyond that, the the thing I always tell people when they ask about this is you need to know what your strengths are. So you need to be self-aware enough to know what you're bringing to the table. And you need to know how those complement the other person's strengths. And hopefully you can not only complement one another's strengths, but you can also um, be strong where the other person is not as strong. And so finding a way to exploit that is very important. Finding a good process to write together is very important. And my collaborations have been vastly different. And even when I wrote with Ted, we did three books together and every book was different. And so finding what's going to work at that moment in time 
is is important. And then, you know, getting to a point where you can trust one another, getting to the point where you can have humor about what's going on and you can and you can respect one another's non-negotiables because every story has a few where, you know, you, you just say, I'm going to fight you on this part right now. And being able to, um, to, to, to come together with a, a common vision. And I, I'm a big believer in the power of prayer. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate that as Marcus and I were writing the story, I had a co-author that I could say, you know, I, need, I need you to pray for me while I'm working on this right now. And that's something we do. And um, Marcus has, you know, he preaches on occasion. So that's not weird for me to say to him, okay, pray for me while I'm going to go off and work on this now. So that's always a luxury that, that I like. We're talking with Tosca Lee. Her newest book is The Long March Home, written in collaboration with Marcus Brotherton. It releases on May 3rd, but fans who pre-order it now will also receive an exclusive secret epilogue and a free copy of the audiobook. Learn how to take advantage of this offer at thelongmarchhomebook.com. How do you define the power of prayer? <laughs> the power of prayer is, is I think... It's, 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 a, it's a dichotomy because I think on one hand, you have to be very bold in knowing what you, you want to ask for and you need to ask for it. But on the other hand, there has to be this tension of, of asking for that and being able to let go of the result and surrender it as well. And so there's that, that tension of this is what I'm asking for. And at the same time, I'm going to release the result. And I think releasing the result is important for life in general. You know, because you can, there's so many things that you, your control ends at a certain point. And at some point you release the results and the chips fall where they fall. Attachment is the root of all suffering. That, that is very true. Yeah. It's, all, it's also very Buddhist. It's but. very Buddhist, but <laughs> it is very true. And there comes a point when you have to let go of those attachments. So just to stay sane. Is creativity genetic or is it something that can be learned? I think creativity is in every single person's DNA. And I have people who say to me sometimes, oh, I'm not creative. And I always say, oh, yes, you are. But you, you may not be an artist. You might not be drawing things. So, you know, every now and then I have somebody will say, will you draw a picture in my, my book when you sign it? And I'm like, you like stick people? Because <laughs> that's what you're going to get, you know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, d definitely don't have that one. But it may not be drawing. It may not be singing. It may not be composing music. It may not be dancing. It may not be writing or choreographing. It may be in the creative way that you approach helping other people feel seen. It may be in your relationships. It may be in, have you seen gardeners when they just, they're like, oh, I'm going to do this here. And, and you know, I would need a paint by number to do a garden anywhere close that looked like a real garden. But there are people who just love it and figure it out and make it beautiful. And there are people who are such creative home decorators. And you walk into their home and you feel comfortable and you like looking at things and it's beautiful. And then there's people who are creative in their hospitality you feel at home or they make you a meal that you'll never forget that speaks to you and makes you feel nourished. And, and so creativity is so many different things. And, you know, as a, as a person who grew up with faith, I've, I've always believed that we were created in the image of the most creative being in the universe. And so in that way of thinking, 
it's it's in our DNA and it's part of our legacy to to do these things. So um, I think it's it's a great thing to do to exercise your inherent creativity. I think that's what we were made to do. If God came back today and was sitting with you right now, what would be the first question you would ask her? Oh, well, I would have so many questions, but I would very quickly remember that she knows what they are. <laughs> I think that it would just be a moment of God saying to me, I know. And of me saying, ah, I finally see. That's a driveway moment, Tosca, yeah, right I, there. I, think, I, I keep, <laughs> I wonder often what death would be like, you know, and I'm, as I, I've wondered this my entire life. And, you know, as we, as we get older and we lose people, I, I wonder, you know, are they here? Where did they go? What is, and I, I, and I always think that there must be some moment where afterwards, after you pass, you say, I understand. Our guest is Tosca Lee. Her forthcoming book is The Long March Home, launching May 3rd, but available for pre-order now with a special epilogue and a free audiobook version included. Learn more at thelongmarchhomebook.com. Do you think that there's something that writers share in common? The ones that are really, really good, like you? I, <laughs> I think all writers regardless of skill level, share something in common. And I think that, I think there's a couple things, but I think curiosity is probably one of the biggest things because you have to be curious. You have to be curious about what's going on and a need to make sense out of things, a need to make some kind of sense out of the world and to document it in some way. I think that those are you know, and at the at the end of the day, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, you know, we read to know that we're not alone, right? And I think so many times, whether we turn to a book or we write a book, we're doing it to know that we're not alone or we're not so weird after all, whatever it is. When people conclude their experience with the long march home, what do you hope will be their takeaway? Uh, a couple things. I always hope that they will have enjoyed the escape and the write, the reading experience because yes, I want them to learn about this chapter in history that so many people have not heard of the Bataan death march and what's going on in the Pacific theater and in the Philippines. But if we only wanted to learn, we'd be reading nonfiction, right? We turn to fiction specifically to escape and to, to experience it in the safety of our armchairs, but in somebody else's shoes. So I hope that they've experienced a great adventure and a great read and a sense of satisfaction at the end of a story. Um, but then, yeah, I hope that they've I hope that they've learned something new, and I hope most of all that they've been inspired, because this story and the people who survived this chapter in history are true inspirations, and it's it's such an honor to write about these heroes, and the story is inspired by true heroes. Those of us in the author community know that you are also a bit of a foodie. How did food become such an important part of your life? Yeah, you know, I my I, I think there's a real answer to this, and I, I think it's that my my dad is a, a Korean man, and he grew up during the Korean War, and they were hungry for much of the war, and they'd go days without food, and so my dad is someone who has such gusto for food and trying new things and and a beautiful meal. And now that I live on a farm, 
Uh, I don't have a garden myself because we tried and it was a failure, but my mother-in-law has this beautiful garden every year, huge garden, everything from tomatoes and peppers to squashes. And my dad comes out and he sees this, you know, this bounty and, and he, he loves it and he loves to come out and cook things with it. And I, I think that I get this love of food from my, my dad, having watched the joy and the relish with which he enjoys everything from, from vegetables to exotic foods all over the world, whatever it is. <laughs> all time favorite birthday meal. What's your favorite dish? Oh, gosh, you know, I would have to say any meal that I eat with my husband and a few years ago during the pandemic, our house was torn up. We had started this renovation. We didn't know we'd be caught with our pants down in the middle of this pandemic with everything, you know, a toilet in the middle of the basement. And I rem- it was my birthday and we're in lockdown, you know, or whatever. And fine, he, he ordered in some, some crab legs. And this is before the price of crab legs skyrocketed and went crazy. And here we are and there's this you know, plastic sheeting everywhere and tape everywhere and drywall dust everywhere. And we're just sitting at the counter and eating a, a quiet meal together. And um, I'll never forget that. H. Jackson Brown says that 99% of your happiness or sadness is determined by the partner you select. Is that true? That is the truth. That is the truth. And you know, uh, Brian and I met each other later in life. And so we've, we are determined to wring as much joy as we can out of every minute we have together. So whether the house is taped off with plastic sheeting and drywall all over or not. An enlightening visit with New York Times bestselling author Tosca Lee. Her new collaboration with Marcus Brotherton is The Long March Home. Its street date is May 3rd, but it's available for pre-order right now with some pretty cool extras, including a special secret epilogue and a free copy of the audiobook. Visit thelongmarchhomebook.com to take advantage of this exclusive limited-time offer. Tosca, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Oh, I just really appreciate this. This was You're so good at this, and you're so at ease, and... and uh... I'm really appreciative of you doing this. The next chapter is produced in association with the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. I'm Lisa Davis. Join Terry Shepard again in the next chapter.